Hey guys, uh, welcome again today for another episode, even though it's, a, it's been a double today. Uh, it's, a, it's a honor for me to be able to have two in a day. So this morning we had BW from A Coffee Melbourne and uh, tonight, today in a matter of minutes we'll be joined by Mark Dundon. So uh, very, very excited about it. Um, so uh, to give a, a Tanti, Hanife, Coffee Perv, um, CK Coffee, Manuel, Bianca, big shout out, Bianca, what's up? Hi Vince, Barista, good to see you. Um, hope you're super well. <laughs> I'm glad you're here, Bianca, you made it today. Hope you're super well, hope you're relaxed, hope you're safe, same with your family. Hope you got a coffee with you. Uh, Hanife, good to see you. And I'm very, very excited for uh, for this guest. Never met him, but heard heard a lot about him. And uh, hey, Ben, thank you for joining us. Uh, Nazila, AJ, AJ Coffee, Glenn, uh, good to see you all. So uh, yeah, very, very excited. I never met the man, um, Mark Dundon. So we'll, we'll ab absolutely have a pleasure to to talk to him. Uh, we'll, we might send him, uh, hey Anthony from Brew Theory, what's up? Kazemani, Glenn, Vas, Va, Va dot SBNI. I'm going to send him an invite um, just because I don't know how often he's done these uh, type of live streams. Uh, let me have a look. Here we go. I'll send him an invite now. Uh, so, yeah, um, if you're tuning in, hey, Olaf, uh, Miss Yami. Basically, this morning we had BW from uh, A Coffee. Uh, that was an amazing, uh, an amazing, amazing uh, interview uh, as usual. Uh, hey, Melimora. Norbert, it's going to be exciting because it's with Mirko. <laughs> You're too nice, Bianca. Uh, we should get you on here. We already, already spoke about it. <laughs> uh, Burke and uh, yeah, Mark uh, is in the house, so we'll, we'll send him uh, the request now. And uh... hey, man. Hey, mate. Hey, how are you? Fantastic. Uh, I'm super honored and humbled to having finally the chance to meet you, even though it's virtually, but it's uh, much better than, than, than not. So thank you so much to share your time with us. And uh, I, I hope that you and your family are safe and sound as far as, you know, health goes and all of that. Yeah, we're all good. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah, no, you know, it's, uh, it's been crazy times across the world and we all have uh, relatives around the world and different continents, yeah. friends. So I think that as long as none of them uh, impacted uh, our loved ones, then we're winning for sure. Hopefully. Yeah, I think we should all try and stay safe and, yeah, you know, get through it. We're all in it together. So it's hard, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, it's difficult times. Yeah, my parents were stuck in quarantine for 74 days in the north part of Italy. So uh, wow. I can definitely, yeah, but like I said, everybody's good. So... We, we just got to be grateful, you know. True, very true. Uh, well, look, thanks again for, for coming in. Uh, hey, Nolan, uh, good to see you, brother. Um, we'll just get started. Basically, you consider one of the pioneers of specialty coffee in Melbourne, and we have so much gratitude for what you did. Uh, but not many people know. Um, how, how did you actually start uh, your coffee journey? Uh, yeah, like I started a small cafe in Brunswick, um, 
about 20 years ago um, when there wasn't a lot of cafes in Brunswick. Um, and I think, you know, not a lot of small, um, I suppose, cafes that really focused on looking at coffee. Like back then it was very much about, you know, a couple of brands in Melbourne that were very Italian-based, which is which is all fine. But for me, I really wanted to explore the product and coffee and understand, you know, the roasting, where it came from, what, what coffees were in, certain blends and things like that. So I started a small co- coffee shop at only, you know, it's just about 20 seats. Um, yeah, very small and just enjoyed it, you know, opened the doors and it, it you know, attracted a lot of local people in and we were doing some, you know, local food with um, a lot of the Turkish and Lebanese uh, suppliers up there, so it was just nice. It was nice just to tap into the local community. And if you want to know a funny story, my first ever, I started coffee, I started drinking coffee very late, despite being in Oslo for nine or ten yeah. years, but my first ever sip of coffee was actually a raise. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, was, yeah. it was my partner's, she was having a latte or whatever, partner at the time, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I had a sip, you know, I was like, come on, I must like coffee, and uh, so it's funny. Um, it's such a beautiful yeah. venue still, and uh, yeah, and um, obviously Turkish and Lebanese food there uh, ticked yeah. many boxes. I'm assuming in Brunswick, um, yeah, and yeah, <laughs> and yeah, like you said, was one of the first in Brunswick. Now there's no shortage of cafes in that area. There's no shortage of cafes, no. So yeah, <laughs> that was my that was the first little cafe, and I enjoyed it. It was great, you know, the social aspect and. Um, really nice working with a product that you know goes through so many hands and trying to to meet the people who you know it has passed through so yeah uh, it was great fun yeah um, i can imagine yeah uh like i sold gray like um to like yeah I, like a few years after i set it up and um it's still going today uh and then moved to south melbourne and set up st ali and that's where I really started uh, getting into roasting and, you know, looking at that sort of aspect of the business. Um, and, you know, had that going for a while and then moved on to Seven Seeds, which is where I'm still at now. So, yeah. Yeah, it's been quite a journey. And I suppose how how crucial was, uh, you know, your explorative trips that you made overseas as far as, you know, looking even at the USA coffee market, for example, because really... 20 years ago, Melbourne, like you said, there was, you know, very little coffee brands, like you name a few Italian ones. Again, nothing wrong with it, yeah. but, it, you know, yeah. that Senali Seven Seeds kind of really started a big ramp. Was it a strong influence in looking at other markets? Well, I think, yeah, the, like I went to the U.S. to actually really do some roasting courses uh, and, you know, do some cupping, uh, learn how to really, you know, taste coffee and look at what, you know, faults that were in coffee or, you know, things like that. So I just wanted to explore. There wasn't really anything happening in Australia in regards to training. So I went and did a few courses in the U.S., um, which was great. Um, it really introduced me to the process of analysing your own coffee and doing all that. So, and then I sort of hooked up with Cup of Excellence and uh, started doing some jury work with them. So I travelled to Origin and, um, you know, Colombia and Africa and, you know, a lot of Central American, um, you know, countries where we source coffee. So it was great to really get involved and really look at, you know, what type of varietals are coming from where. Like it was an exciting time in coffee. 
um, with a lot of, you know, I suppose changes in regards to, you know, different varietals going from one particular country to another, like the geisha thing happened, you know, uh, and all that sort of stuff. So it's really interesting times. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, and, and what I really like about your stories, uh, and I'm sure there's plenty that, that I don't know of, but it's like in terms of having a vision, you know, we, we look up at people like, you know, Steve Jobs or Elon Musk and, you know, these big people, and they, they see things that certain people can't see. And, you know, I think as Centrale or Seven Seeds and the whole warehouse turned into an amazing cafe, but not only that, despite the grunginess, it's also a very higher quality level of coffee because that's kind of the benchmark that you were setting up those days and still today. Uh, could you describe a little bit, you know, briefly the idea behind each um, project that you started? Sure. Well, look, I think, um, like, I have a few projects, like, in, in regards to, like, I, I do have a uh, another side project, Paramount Coffee Project, which is in Sydney and in the USA. Um, but I think really fundamentally looking at what I want to do, Seven Seas personifies that a little bit. Like we really wanted to look at coffee and explore, but I think have a, a sustainable base. Going to origin and seeing, you know, um, that it's very difficult to farm and produce coffee. Uh, it's very... Um, yeah, and it's not because of the tyranny of distance, you know, farmers aren't really rewarded that well, and especially over recent years where um, you've seen, you know, extremely low prices for coffee it being undervalued, whereas, you know, um, the industry has gone through a boon. You can say especially coffee has really, you know, risen and there's a lot more, um, yeah, a lot of money in it in Australia and the US, but the reality with the producers, I don't think I've really seen so much advancement at origin, at the producing countries, which disappoints me. Which, so for us, sorry, go on. Oh, which, well, I was smiling because it was leading to my next question, which is you big advocate about coffee pricing, which that's super important. And uh, do you think that coffee should be treated and priced more like wine given the similarities i used to trade wine back in the day that's why I'm asking. yeah yeah well i think um i think when you look at the journey of coffee and the hands that it goes through like if i go down to you know the local bar and pay 12 dollars for a um for a specialty beer that's water hops perhaps grown here perhaps new zealand or perhaps overseas but the whole components of that and the actual cost of that drink is so small compared to what coffee is. And at the risk of sounding a little sort of presumptuous, like when you go to one of the coffee shows and you see all the machines and you see all the money that goes into coffee, I get disappointed when there's not so much respect towards the actual ingredient, you know, coffee. Um, so to me, I think we need to band together as a group a little more and actually upsell the product, you know, uh, there's no one really there trying to, you know, talk about the product as a whole and really repping it, you know, repping it to a point where it should be, um, yeah, you know, have an industry that really stands up for coffee as it is and educate people in regards to it, you know. Um, I see a lot more of that happening elsewhere, you know, other sort of industries. 
other countries. In fact, I mean, what what would take what would take Australia, reckon, to pay to start paying a little bit more, you know, in, a, in, in compared to other countries? Like you say, I mean, yeah. there's countries like the USA or even even Italy. In in a in a funny way, yeah. I went to a couple of specialty coffee shops there, and in comparison to the standard market, they charge you know higher prices than than even here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Australia's probably the cheapest place to buy a coffee almost. Um, like in the US, we would charge $5 US for a latte. So that's like $7.50 you know, Australian dollars. Um, so here I think it's very cheap. And I think, you know, it's going to be difficult in this current environment to, to raise prices. But I think, you know, roasters uh, and retailers need to really stand up for the product and start a dialogue where it talks about, you know, um, what it costs to produce. Like, I think it's only a matter of time until there is talk of, like, illegal coffee or coffee that's grown and paying people, you know, under, you know, minimum wage and things like that because pretty much a lot of that is what coffee is based on to a certain extent. Like, specialty coffee um, should be transparent. You should be able to really look at – if someone says, I'm – especially coffee roaster, and this is especially coffee, I would assume that you could see where that coffee is from. You would get an understanding of, you know, the pedigree of that coffee. Um, and, yeah, be able to trace it back and see that the producer is getting, you know. Like, I think with the current climate here in Australia, a lot of people are saying that they are using great coffee but not really willing to share the proof of the pedigree of that coffee. And I think it's important. It's very, like, specialty means nothing. So, you know, I think it's important to actually mean what you say. You know, we don't use the word specialty anymore because of the fact that it is easily usurped by other roasters who don't have the same intention. And, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a positive person by default, but something that I'm aware of uh, with this COVID-19 situation is also that having worked for a coffee roaster, uh, especially on the ground, there's such a high amount of competition, just as much as between cafes. You know, there's 12 yeah. shops between 400 meters in some streets. Um, and what happens usually is, you know, the classic sharp deals in terms of getting busy. Like, I, I would love one day to have a dream of, you know, there's a regulation and, you know, there's a standard minimum or maximum price that can be charged yeah. kilo. And, some countries have regulations like that, which I think they're quite clever in a way. Yeah, well, I think, like, it doesn't worry me if you don't want to claim that your coffee, you know, if you want, if you want to say that your coffee is special, you're like, I don't mind if you want to say you're, you know, you're roasting, like, yeah, you're roasting like a commodity coffee You want to call, and you don't want to call yourself specialty, you might want to call yourself whatever, uh, and you don't, you know, make assumptions that you're, you know, doing great work for the you know, for the producer. Um, but if you do say that, I think you need to prove it. I think you can, you know, you should be questioned. Um, to me, there's too many people saying, oh, look, you know, we're doing great work. We're paying, you know, above fair trade organic price or fair trade price. But the reality with fair trade with the C market is it's not enough to cover the basic cost of production of coffee. Um, like, to me, I don't want to, you know, jam up the conversation, but I just think it's an important point that as oh, we no, move further important. forward, yeah, as we move further forward, you need to make it um, 
uh, you know, a profession that people want to do, you know. And I think at the moment there are people ripping out plants, thinking that, you know, they can't really see a future. I think a lot of um, coffee people here in Australia just don't even think of that aspect that, you know, when you look at someone who's producing coffee, they'll have a couple of different crops in the ground. And to ensure that, um, you know, to ensure that that continues, it needs to meet cost of production. That's the basic. It should be a lot more. Um, and so the thing I think is that you need to really protect the future of coffee by paying enough money for people to continue to farm. And if you don't, in 10 years, we'll be in real trouble. You know, yeah. coffee prices will spike. They're actually starting to go up now. And then we'll be playing catch up with the public, trying to explain to them what the problem is. But we, and we don't want that, you know. 100%. And I think um, Luca Coffee Notes summed it up quite well by saying if you're selling commodity grade and calling your business specialty, you're objectively misleading and deceiving the consumer. I think that's also another important point. And what, what's your thoughts in terms also of, without making names, but there's a couple of roasters that on their you know single origin uh, uh, tasting notes cards, they also include how much they pay their price at origin or at market yep. and, uh, you know, what it costs to them at the end. Do you think it's, yep. it's, it's something? Yeah, look, I think people shouldn't be scared about saying that they're making money. Like if you're an importer or whatever, you need to really understand. You know, people need to understand that everyone makes money. There's a lot of risk in importing green coffee and things like that. But I think to really get back to, um, to the farm gate where you understand that the producer is paid, you know, Above a dollar eighty a pound, you know USD a pound. Um, you know Colombia has asked. You know the FNC, which is the governing body in Colombia, the the government body has asked to to you know limit it at two dollars a pound. Uh, and when you see countries like that putting a limit on it, I think you can get a fair idea of what's good for the industry and what's bad for the industry. And so if you actually are buying coffee for a dollar fifty a pound, which a lot of people are you can understand that there's problems in the future of coffee if that's what's coming into most of the blends in Australia. Um, and it's hard. It's really difficult if you're paying, you know, $2.50 to $3 to $3.50 a pound for coffee to compete with people who um, say they're specially offering their blends for $22, you know, a kilo here in Australia. But the reality is, you know, a lot of people who are going into, you know, cafes and those industries now are as educated as what we were back in the day. And so especially coffee from one person at 22 and especially coffee from someone else at 34, it's essentially the same thing to them. So I think we need to educate the market. We need to, you know, I think as especially coffee, whether it's, you know, the organisation in Australia or even the US, there needs to be... I think some understanding of a price back to the producer for that, for that claim or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think that would be great from, from my point of view to see that. Um, but I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens here. I think coffee prices will go up and I think it's very difficult for cafe owners at the moment to survive in this current crisis. I think once we come out of, you know, the subsidies and JobKeeper and all that sort of stuff, people will have a difficult time to actually start back up. Cafes weren't making that much money. 
So I think we'll have to really look at the public and start to explain to them that, you know, hey, you guys have got to sort of, yeah, uh, maybe pay a little more for coming in and grabbing that, you know, piece of, you know, piece of, you know, luxury from Brazil, Colombia or whatever. And that's really what it is, you know. And I yeah. think we need to tell the, tell the story. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And I... And I I really think that it's it's super crucial because um, ultimately, look, we can stay here and say, well, governments should do this, should be regulation, should be, you know, we can point fingers. But I think w when there's a lot of problems, it all comes down to each individual uh, on their yeah. choices because individuals actually regulate the market by supply demand by default. So, yeah. I mean, I think that we give coffee for granted yet between climate change and a higher demand, it's in danger, like you said. So what yeah. would you say to people who are going to rewatch this? What, what can every individual do or look at to do in terms of helping uh, the entire move? Well, it's interesting. Like we're seeing a big, like there's been an increase, obviously, in brewing coffee at home. And there's a lot of people who, um, who are really enjoying spending a little more. Like we're seeing a lot of our you know, premium you know, high-end coffee is selling more, which is great to see, you know. People are spending their time at home enjoying it and getting into it, which is exactly what we need. Um, and I think it would be great to continue with that, you know, in-store or whatever. Like, you don't want to ram information down people's throats or whatever. People, you know, have this right that they want a great coffee for a reasonable price. And I think we need to do that. But I think it's important to tell the full story and perhaps, you know, um, focus on the product, but yeah. yeah. The story, yeah, 100%. And uh, uh, Burkanti is sending through a question. To understand the process of choosing the business name, would you tell the historical story of Baba Budan and Seven Seeds, and why did this inspire you so strongly uh, to have those business names? Uh, well, for me, it was a journey as well. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it was my journey through coffee and I started out really knowing nothing about the product. So I was reading a lot about it and going through and um, there was one character, this guy, you know, Ali Ibn Umar al-Shadili, who was, you know, um, uh, you know, he was in Yemen and he was this guy who was sort of reportedly, it's sort of hearsay a little bit, but he was the one who commoditized coffee. He could see the value in it. And... He was, I suppose, the first guy to really understand its enormity and how it could really, you know, shake the world. And then, obviously, you know, um, you know, a monk um, from India who was going to Mecca, um, Baba Budan, came through and actually, you know, stole, you know, uh, smuggled the seven seeds back to India, where pretty much most coffee came from, from those seven seeds that went back to their, you know, a couple of them were taken to the French, you know, observatory, you know, and a lot of stock came out of there. So uh, it was that sort of lineal transition that, you know, um, we were doing with naming. Unfortunately, as we got a little further down the track, a few other people picked up on it and started to name, you know, the next sort of people in the chain. So at that stage, we had to stop the the actual naming succession unfortunately which i i think it's 
it's beautiful is the connection between your values and your, you know, transparency and storytelling. I think that when people, when my customers ask me about, you know, what I do in terms of what's the strategy around digital or marketing or social media for coffee shops or cafes, I mean, it, it is all about storytelling. I think that what you just said is, is a story even behind the name. I think it's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, and thanks for that question, Burke. Um, now, going back on my questions, um, Melbourne is, I think, safely considered uh, somewhat the capital of coffee. Um, and, you know, also thanks to, you know, people like yourself and your vision. Uh, but if you could change one thing, what would that be? Um, it's a good question. Um, if I could change one thing, I'd probably go back in time a little bit and um, probably get more more involved with the the governing organisations and try and you know get them to focus a little more on the coffee, um, maybe more than the barista championships or things like that. That's going to sound harsh, but that's no, 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 no. the what? Yeah. Like I, yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting question. I look, I think we have a great you know culture. I don't want to be like I think. Yeah, Melbourne's yeah got you know it's come a long way in the years that I've been involved in the industry, and it's a huge thing. You know, it's a huge thing for tourism and all those things, and it's really explored. Um, you know, a lot of different aspects of coffee, like the you know filter coffees and all that sort of stuff that are you know common in cafes across you know, the whole region now uh, is just, you know, it's a fairly recent thing. So it's great to see people enjoying, you know, that appreciation of, you know, those sort of brews. To me, I think, you know, it'll be great to see us continue um, doing really interesting things with roasting and presenting coffees and things like that. I think our public are very supportive of us. Um, so, yeah, I think we're lucky. I think, you know, there's still a lot more time to enjoy the coffee scene in Melbourne. Yeah, I think so too. Um, the the one thing that Scott Rao was saying that he would like to see more in Melbourne is probably a, a higher volume or higher quality as far as batch brewing goes. I think that would yep. enhance a lot of things. But then he would take uh, things that we do in Melbourne or back to the USA. I find interesting the USA, the, the crossing between USA and Australia because I, I met several baristas from, from, from America coming here and basically – they come here as the country where they're going to learn their coffee, yet there's a lot of amazing coffee companies in the, in the USA themselves. So it's pretty cool to see Melbourne to be seen as a, a destination, but I also think that it's like when you're the winning champion, you know, like Michael Jordan, then you have the expectations, you know, to win each game. Mm. Uh, so that's why I've asked that question, because I think that maybe in the past year or two, because it's such a cultural thing. We'll give it for granted that maybe we kind of, you know, sit uh, on the one I, bump. You know? I, I think there's been a lot of financial pressures on cafes and roasteries in Melbourne, which have caused the coffee to, to go down in quality. Um, I think people, and it's only natural, like there's been a huge, you know, boom in this industry where there's a lot of, you know, operators and people like that. And so I think we've got to a stage now where we're at, you know, peak cafe, you know, we're past the tipping point. And so I think now it'll be an interesting situation to see who can 
come out at the other side of this because this will cause a lot of hurt for a lot of people. I don't yeah. expect to, you know, I don't expect anyone to come out back to 100%. Like some cafes out in the suburbs are doing fantastic, you know. There's a huge increase just because of where people are positioned and things like that. So I think that they're doing really well, which is, which is great. Um, I think in general people aren't probably going into cafes as much, obviously, because of the lockdown restrictions. And I think that'll continue for a while. So I think in general uh, you'll see you know, a reduction in money being spent in cafes, and I think that will be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and to connect on that, actually, I think that we can see the game changing as far as e-commerce go in the sense of a lot of people now getting used to staying home. So the person who was introverted, let's say with the gym, right now, that person understood that can work out from home. Uh, yeah. Therefore, you know, change of human consumer behavior, we're going to see something very interesting, I agree. Um, yeah. I also think, which is leading to the next question, uh, what I've noticed being on the road, hitting the pavement for two years uh, before I quit my job is uh, a problem that we often see, especially in Melbourne, is that people uh, with no experience opening more and more coffee shops, which created all sorts of issues in the market. And and it's not their fault. This is not being harsh because they go sold the dream. You know, they go to a cafe on a Saturday or Sunday. They see a busy. They think, oh, 18.50 for smashed avocados. I can actually pull half off on it. I would do it better. They start counting people. But they are working Monday to Friday in an office or into a massage yeah. Or wherever, um, what 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 do you think that what could be a solution? I mean, after all, if you think about it, a lawyer needs a degree to practice and work. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, so what would it take to open a cafe? I'm not saying that we should have a degree to open a cafe, but would that potentially be sort of direction to avoid over saturation? Uh, look, I think it's the market. I don't think you can really control it too much and I think a lot of like to me a lot of people who come in don't quite understand the fundamentals of business plan and really looking at you know um, cost of goods you know I see a lot of people trapped in a bit of a cycle where they're just always playing catch up um, the reality is I think you know you really have to understand and follow through with just you know sound you know processes in the kitchen mainly um, but also, you know, excuse me, out on the machine, like realistically, I see a lot of you know, places doing food and they've got no idea what food costs would be. And they could be losing money in their kitchen, even though they're a busy cafe, um, especially now with, you know, fluctuations in like you were talking avocados earlier, like, you know, the price fluctuation in, in that is quite huge. So you really need to be very focused in regards to the mathematical side of business, working out, you know, uh, your business plan. And, you know, I think with coffee, that's the same thing. You really need to look at an approach. Like the cost of coffee going into, you know, um, a beverage isn't that high. Like to use a good coffee isn't that high. The actual bill that comes in weekly from your coffee roaster is the one thing that's quite shocking to see. And it's sort of what people want to minimise but, you know, you look at some companies that are selling cheap coffee, they want you to put 22 grams in the basket or, you know, the barista's practice is really messy um, and there's a lot of waste and things like that. Like, 
I think there's a lot of aspects to business which you should tighten up on. And I think you can be very efficient and use really good quality products and have you know lower costs than if you actually um, are going for cheap products and don't understand the process. So I'd like to see you know some sort of ability for people to study that and come into it. Um, because I've been into cafes where you know it's just such a mess. There's coffee going everywhere. They're wasting you know so much, and yet they really want a really cheap product. And I'm like, hey, you know. You don't need to be cramming that stuff in, you know. Um, you know, 18.5 grams or 19 grams uh, is going to be perfect for, you know, what you're working with, you know. And all those things they haven't never thought of. Um, it's just, yeah, it's the harder side of business, you know what I mean? Like, it's great to have the Lama Zocco sitting on the bench. It's great to have the fit out and all that sort of stuff. But underneath it all, there's really a fundamental approach to being effective and efficient. And I think we need to do that, you know, and not waste, you know, we don't want to waste food. You don't want to waste anything, but you know, now and in the future, I think we really need to conserve and be respectful of all those things. Yeah. And of course, if you have never put a foot inside a kitchen or behind a bar, it becomes difficult to control that because you know, I remember a chef screaming for the way that I was cutting a pumpkin because, uh, yeah. you know, I had left too much flesh on the peel and there was a special technique, you know, and then, yeah, you know, yeah, you learn the yeah. way. I think if you if you haven't done learned the ropes, then it's going to become difficult. That's why I, yeah. I also think that a lot of people want to go too big too soon, like big kitchen, big venue, big bar, but maybe you can yeah. start from a smaller size. Yeah, look, I think there's, I think, there's nothing wrong from, you know, just understanding what you want to achieve, what your model is. If you're just doing toasted sandwiches, I love a good toasted sandwich. Everyone pretty much does. You know, so I think if you, if you really look at what you want to do and what you enjoy yourself and put that into your business, I think that's an important aspect of it. So, um, yeah, I think it's dangerous to sort of think, oh, yeah, you know, this is what everyone wants and, you know, we're going to do this massive kitchen and all that. Like it works obviously for some people, but I think you have to have a, a level of experience that matches that. If you base it on yourself and your likes and your approach, I think that's probably a better model. So you understand your motivations behind it and can really feel what you're doing and be, you know, I think it's really important to be honest when you approach what you're doing and be able to stand back and look and see what the, what the problems are. You can't give yourself a pat on the back the whole time, you know, if it's not true. Yeah. hundred percent. Cause we crossed the halfway mark. Usually ask it out of the box question. Um, uh, who would you like if you had the opportunity to have dinner with? Oh, um, <laughs> Like anyone, like, you know. Anyone, like, even from a previous century, you know. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, well, I think I'd like to have someone sort of current, current day. Um, there's some crazy people out there, isn't there? I'd like someone who's a little bit crazy. Um, like, I think at the moment it would be great. Like, I would love to probably, you know, talk to some sports people. But I think business... You know, in this frame, like, you know, people like, 
don't really want to say Elon Musk, but you know, like he's a crazy at the moment. He seems to have gone off the rails. So I think he'd be good. To, I think I, I think he'd party a little bit as well. I reckon for sure. <laughs> so it'd be probably good to have dinner with him. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'll but take like, it. It'd be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a question I like to ask because um, it. Then after this kind of finishing, my someone might pop in your head. You're like, actually, you know, I also like to have dinner with this person and that person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll second Elon Musk for sure. He's a interesting character and a funny story. Yeah. I was I was reading. Um, not sure if you saw, but when he introduced the the armor truck, the, the one of the yeah, latest, yeah. Uh, they failed with the throwing of the brick and the glass shattered um, yeah. and there's a few people that have studied and analyzed some of the facial and all of them they're thinking that it was actually made on purpose because oh, really? then because of the failure the exposure that that got macro went viral and now in fact all the pre-orders are sold out right so when yeah. most people are thinking oh haha here you go you failed some people think it actually that was done on purpose, which I don't know. I mean, that's that's a theory, which I like to think yeah. so. Um, but yeah, no, yeah. Um, okay, so we really covered a lot of a lot here, um, but and I think we I want to tie it up with what's your coffee mission? What's your mission? Because obviously you go LA going on, you go Melbourne going on, and a lot of different things probably on your plate. Yeah, it's an interesting, like I do, like my mission at the moment is perhaps to, um, I think, navigate the first, next couple of years in regards to, I think, trying to lead by example with coffees that we purchase uh, and just our attitude. We don't really want to do a song and dance about it. We just want to do our thing and fit it into the environment, you know, the current coffee environment to show that you can do that. Um and like, yeah, I think, you know, really focusing on, on that, like we're working with people in Colombia in regards to looking at what, a very focused look at what it costs to produce coffee in that particular region, whether it's, you know, Pitalito or Nariño or wherever in Colombia, like there's different costs for different areas based on transport and things like that. So I think really looking at that model, um, and also looking at our approach to the producers that we've been working with for a long, long time and seeing what, you know, is best for them. Um, so that's one of our missions. I actually have an interest in a farm in Honduras with a friend, um, Erwin, um, Erwin Merish from the Merish family, who have got farms in Nicaragua and Honduras. And it will be good to actually focus down and see, you know, um, a little bit more about that. Um, yeah, because it's very difficult to make money on the farm. So it'll be yeah nice to try and, I think, get that back into the black. Um, and, yeah, I think that'll keep me busy for the next couple of years. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of young people who are going to carry the baton, hopefully. Oh, mate, you... you, you... You are one of those evergreen, you know, I think that there is so much innovation. I mean, you would probably be on the list of people I would love to have dinner with, uh, to be honest, or at least have a coffee because, you know, uh, 
it anyway there's there's a lot there's a lot there so i think that you you will carry it for a long time and uh um, i i i was actually talking to team wendelbo uh, maybe 10 days ago and uh he really brought up an interesting aspect on how a lot of his you know customers or a lot of his workers are like a little like oh we're getting bored to get the same origins each year but he was making such a strong argument on the importance of having long-term relationships with the same farmers in terms of collaboration yeah. in terms of almost become part of the family so it, basically your mission is surrounding be keeping those relationships at farm origin it's good it's good to see like a lot of our producers um you know have come a long way you know they've got a lot more clients they've helped a lot of their neighbors out you know they might be you know buying their coffee or offering their coffee and i think that's really really great to see like we um we buy off a couple of producers in guatemala i saw casey come on before and she spearheaded a lot of that when she was sourcing with us she was um up with Freddie and Alaria a lot of the time you know speaking to them and and we've just got their coffees in and cupping through you know the samples from them and they're doing you know exciting you know micro lots with different fermentations and things like that and so you can see that they've really hit their stride and doing some really interesting thing with coffee you know planning a little bit more diversity with varietals in the ground so you know in the space of you know 10 years when they you know had one or two varietals in the ground they've changed to having you know maybe 15 20 different varietals and doing these experimental things and supplying you know a whole lot of different markets Japan Korea you know Taiwan and all those places where their coffees are well well received and it's great to see you know it's great to see this diversity coming in like coffee you know there's some really great things about coffee at the moment you know it's becoming really diverse you know there's these taste profiles that are coming out which is so interesting um just by you know the different approaches like you know coffee was a very sort of dark age sort of process there was you know uncontrolled fermentation and but now producers are really honing in on their skills and it'll be great to see in the next you know few years what what could happen yeah absolutely i had a very interesting conversation with joseph uh, from 90 plus as far as processing and the importance also to yeah. develop and create an experience at farm eventually more openly because people then yeah. can get an idea much better of the experience and sticking with experience i think that it's safe to say that i'm a big believer that the overall experience inside a coffee shop should be matched with the quality of the cup i think that it's another aspect that perhaps those basics that you were talking about in hospo we kind of started shifting away as far as you know greetings attention to customers attention to detail um yeah. i think that's going to be very important too for sure yeah, um, yeah i agree now you covered a whole spectrum of coffee or a wide range of it uh, could you pinpoint a couple of memorable moments uh, throughout this journey crazy journey of yours well i think you know actually opening the first coffee store was pretty epic you know it took a lot of work my son had just been born and uh you know we had no money and we opened the doors and it took a while to get going but it was a great feeling to have you know this business slowly building um so that was one you know great moment i think starting roasting um 
like there was a lot of negative people about me roasting, saying that, you know, people took it as almost um, a personal affront that I was considering roasting. So, um, you know, how dare I do that? What, you know, you don't, you know. So to actually get to a point um, and be roasting and actually enjoying it and feeling that my product was great, you know, not great, but, you know, it was good enough for us to use and it was really something that we felt to, you know, we had a pride in, you know. Um, we were always looking to improve and looking at other people's coffees. Um, but, yeah, it was great to actually start roasting and explore that. All of a sudden it opened up a world of going to Origin and learning a whole lot more and it was really exciting. And I suppose I think, you know, now, you know, looking at, you know, where we're at and looking back and seeing that there is, um, you know, that there is this, you know, great world that we've got, you know, you know, Melbourne's got a fantastic, you know, coffee population and, you know, extremely, you know, um, kind public that support us and do all that sort of stuff. It's great to see. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. And look, I, there's a few things, I mean, for instance, now that I'm talking to you as well, um, I, I had the luck to work a little bit with Toby, uh, Toby Smith, you know, yeah. and uh, and yeah. I, you know, great character. Um, and great uh, when character. I was working, yeah, <laughs> when I was working with him, uh, uh, another person good to have dinner with. Uh, I'm sure you had great. dinner with him. I've had dinner. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I was working with him. You know, I think you can really vibe. Uh, you can really absorb that. You know, you started a journey, but that journey, you, it's almost like you just started, even though it was a few years back. Because of that passion that you have, you can really uh, feel it. Uh, but what, what would you give, what advice would you give to yourself when you first started coffee? I think that's a great um, question. It is, yeah, it is. I think um, it's just to enjoy it and to try. Like, I think it's really enjoyable to go through a process of learning. Like, I really did find that aspect of, you know, it kept me really fresh and, you know, and honest and very keen. If I could say something to me, just, you know, enjoy the ride, dude. You know, it's going to be great, you know, because, um, you know, there's ups and downs. But I think, you know, I'm very lucky to have had the opportunity to do this. You know, I sort of fell into it, and it really, you know, and luckily enough, you know, I just stumbled my way through and got to a point where, um I was just, yeah, learning so much and felt very, you know, humbled to be allowed to, you know, to get to where I am now. I think that the the second last word that you use is uh, such a key element of uh, what I believe myself. I think that being humble is such an undervalued and underestimated element in a lot of things that we do. Uh, yeah. there's this, there, is, there is this whole hustle culture out there i think that it's a great it's okay but we see a lot of people who burn out who don't enjoy the process and they might not be you know driven or thriving by a passion of theirs or doing actually something that they like it's because it's yeah. considered the right thing to do but i think being humble uh patient uh and full of gratitude for the little gains i think that goes a long way but what well, you know do you have any special a word of wisdom for the people out there who are chasing the passion for coffee, but they are perhaps stuck in what's considered a 
a good job or a job that family told you that you should be doing? Well, I think, you know, um, like I think it'll change a little. I think there'll be other, you know, aspects to coffee. Um, and I do think we are, like I think, I do think coffee will go through a little bit of a hard time. So I think people should just um, probably chill, you know, look at uh, the opportunities that are going to come out, like, you know, really focus on what they want to achieve. Um, you know, do they like coffee, first of all? You know, why do they want to get into it? Is it about, like, because food is such a big component of a lot of cafes in Melbourne. Uh, if you just want to do coffee, you know, what are you going to do? It can become very time-consuming if you want to roast for yourself and actually, you know, man that cafe. I think, you know, understanding the dynamic with, you know, dealing with staff and things like that, I think you have to be, a little bit of a people person and try and look at um, getting a great team together and looking after them. Um, so to me, I think they need to ask a few questions of themselves. And if they still really want to, you know, go ahead, do it, you know, um, get in there and look at it from your perspective. Don't say, oh, I like what those guys do or these guys, I want to replicate that. I think you really need to have your own spin on it. Uh, and like, you know, you can see, like I've seen a few people who have, you know, come into the industry, um, you know, they don't particularly like, you know, light roasted coffee and they've gone a lot darker and they've actually done their own thing with that. And it's been really successful or, by, you know, vice versa or something else, you know what I mean? So there's usually certain people, you know, out there who are very similar to you who will appreciate what you're doing. And I think if you base things on, you know, a little bit about yourself and what you enjoy, I think that yeah. would work. I think that's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm letting that sink because I think that's super important. Um, and especially when you, when you look at staff and, uh, you know, food, it, it's not easy. It's not easy gig, no. but once you, you know, uh, you know, sorry. There's a lot of, there's a lot of easier gigs at the moment. I think you'll find, especially, you know, with uncertain times in regards to, even legislation about how many people will be in the cafe, you know, uh, and all that sort of stuff. Like the model that we're used to may not particularly particularly work. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And Ozzy in Prague, thanks for the question, asking, how do you continue to cultivate so many great coffee people? So many seem to move on and do great things with your blessing uh, dash support as well. Yeah, that's a good question. Like, I think for us, we encourage people to continue learning like, like, like I did. And you, like, we try and give people the opportunity to experience um, either, you know, maybe running a little cafe by themselves, one of our, you know, cafes or managing or, like, hopefully people will move through. Like, one of our roasters at the moment started as a dishwasher, you know, um, so for us, we're very happy when people go on and, and do their own thing. Um, it's important for them to continue on and put their own spin on it. Um, you know, we definitely don't see it as competition. Um, sometimes it is, but, like, we don't feel that. I think it sort of builds the whole strength of what we do if people take that away and incorporate that into their business model. Um, and I think for them, you know, I think hopefully they have the understanding that, you know, they can go and do anything they like. They have a solid business skill behind them. 
Um, because you can't, you know, you've got to be nice to people, but you've got to show them exactly how business is. And sometimes it's not easy. You know, sometimes you're not making money. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really important to, to give them an honest look at business when they're in it. Encourage them to, to learn and to go on and do their own thing. Yeah, it's good. It's good, you know, if they can. Like you look at, you know, there's quite a lot of people, but like, um, like if you look at Taylor, who's, you know, um, in, you know, Norway with the donuts and coffee and things like that, or, you know, even, um, you know, Bowen, um, you know, there's a whole lot of people who have really gone in and put their spin on it and done some great things, you know. Um, and, like, it's not solely us. Like, I think they've, like, a lot of people have worked elsewhere as well um, and done things and moved on. But I think it's great to see, you know, a hospitality community that really um, goes through and has some really good skills at the end of it and goes off and is successful and people enjoy their place, you know. Um, it's great. It's it's really comforting to see those people doing well. And I also think, um, well, that's, thank you for that. Uh, like Ozzie Prag says, so rare in the world of coffee, the attitude of non-competitors and clapping hands. Uh, I also think that if you're good to them, they should be good to you in a way, in the sense of they will mention you, they will mention the credit uh, versus if you were not good to them in the first place, then you might create a little friction, then maybe they're going to start coming against you rather than working with you because ultimately we are part of the same, under the same umbrella, under the same sky, however you want to say it, in terms of, like you said, civil hospitality, put your own spin on it. Sure, it's, it might be competition, but, you know, you're not opening the shop right next to mine. It's like... Yeah, look, I think it's, like, it's just what it is. Like, someone else is going to do it or whatever. Like, to a certain extent, I think a lot of, when you've been in business for a while, I don't, like initially when you first come in and you're probably not as um, understanding, you might feel that competition, if someone opens next to you or whatever, but the reality is it usually actually brings more business to both to both companies. Uh, and if you actually can, you know, firmly um, look at, you know, doing great things to collectively and building up that um collective appreciation like it does start to get you know a movement and in melbourne we have that in regards to you know people coming and checking us out people wanting to come here and check out the coffee scene uh and it's huge you know you look at you know the um overseas market coming in and enjoying it and like you know with seven seeds being close to melbourne university we have a lot of students from you know indonesia taiwan china korea who at the end of it say you know we're going to miss you know, this, you know, we want to take this culture back, you know, and there is places back in those countries based on our culture here, which is fantastic, you know. Love it, love it. And I, an old friend of mine told me that, you know, if you're worried about competition, also means that you're not confident in what you're doing or insecure. Yep. So that's the other element. Yep. But look, um, Instagram is actually quite. Uh, harsh when it comes to cut it off because it gives you a 30 second notice and I think we got a shy four minutes away so I want to just get this out of the way first. Uh, thank you so much uh, Mark to popping on uh, with us. It's, it's been uh, very humbling and full of gratitude for all the things that you shared. Uh, I'm, I really, I'm really glad that I, <laughs> we got to do this and hopefully yeah, I'll yeah, be able to fun. share a cup of coffee with you 
uh, soon live uh, in person. Uh, but yeah, thank you uh, really for for coming on. And uh, Nolan, uh, I know Nolan quite well. Worked with his father, and he shares what a breath of fresh air this talk has been. It's amazing to see some humility and respect in your vision. One of the most rewarding talks I've seen. Uh, thanks, Nolan. Appreciate it. And thanks, thanks to you, Mark. Uh, yeah. Thank uh, for for the final yeah. few minutes. Uh, the people are going to rewatch this. Um, okay, seven seats. Where else they can find you? What else have you been doing? You know, so that we can get a little um, bit of an idea so of what, what you're doing. We, yeah. we just have a few cafes in Melbourne, Seven Seeds, uh, Brother Baba Boudin, and Traveller. Um, in Sydney, I have Paramount Coffee Project and a little hotel project there called Paramount House Hotel. In, um, in LA, I've got two stores. Um, Paramount Coffee Project is the name over there as well. Uh, in Honduras, a little farm down in uh, Siguatepeque called uh, Finca um, Santa Lucia. And yeah, and that's that's probably about it, really. Fantastic. Um, again, uh, yeah, thank you. I'll, I'll definitely, once I turn this off, I'll have to sit down and digest a few things that you shared and... Uh, let them let them process uh, begin for myself, and I'm assuming for many people who are gonna read tune in and rewatch it. Uh, Team Styles, we, we this is gonna be rewatchable, so it's all good. Um, uh, yeah, again, Mark, uh, thank you. I don't want to hold you too long. Uh, I'm sure you got probably plenty of things to do, um, and I will I will hopefully talk to you soon. Okay, thanks again. Thank you, Mark. Cheers. See ya. Uh, there you have it. Um, um, yeah, I'm super, super happy. Um, Mark has definitely been a person that I've, I have tracked down thanks to LinkedIn and I tried to, to bring on and uh, I'm very, very humbled to have had the opportunity to talk to him. Um, usually I say that I'm happy if these live streams bring value to one person. In this case, he has brought a lot of value to myself. Um, firstly, so I'm feeling very, very grateful. Um, so yeah, very grateful for it. And uh, Nolan, good to see you, brother. Um, I hope you're well. I hope you're safe, man. It's been uh, it's been a while since the last time I saw you. Um, yeah, we should catch up soon, brother. <laughs> Your dad was here on the show when I was interviewing Joseph from Nani Plus. Uh, <laughs> you can actually see him on YouTube. I posted it yesterday. Uh, it's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, be safe out there too, Bianca and Ozzy in Prague. Thanks for the amazing question. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, um, this is what I'm all about as well. Uh, if people, people who know me, uh, been humble and uh, yeah, like I said, I, I generally will tune this off, repost this on IGTV for people who missed it. I'm gonna sit on the couch and let it all sink because. Um, you don't talk to people like this every day uh, who started a movement and uh, are able to still be so humble, uh, visionary, uh, driven, and yet super, I don't know, in, in the Zen, in the, in the element, <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, I think that sometimes success can put people in a bubble and put themselves on a higher moral ground, uh, but, but Markets zero of that. So anyway, um, 
the timer has started from Instagram. It's 20 seconds left. If you like this, please take a screenshot, reshare it, retweet it, tell people and family. Instagram is giving me a little bit hard time to promote this, so it's all about you guys. Thank you for tuning in. Hope to see you again soon and uh, a new week starting on Monday and take care.